This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, this is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we'll focus on passages and destinations. And in other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting individual, we'll try to get them to be a guest on the show. Hey, Mike, I think uh, this past summer you were in Monaco, weren't you? I was. And this is, again, yet another example of a short question and a long answer. But yes, <laughs> yes is the short answer. We did some traveling this summer um, yeah. to places with amazing sailing. And once again, and please don't judge me, my friend, I didn't set foot on a sailboat. But yes, our European travels took us to Sardinia, which is an island off the coast of Italy, some may know, with some great sailing uh, on that. It's uh, really amazing. And people think, oh, you went to Sardinia. It's like a two-hour flight from here. You know, it's like for you going to Chicago, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's this beautiful island. Um, it's part of Italy. Um, but the Sardinians don't say, don't call us Italian, right? It's its own unique culture. Um, but really beautiful and great food and nice people. Uh, so that was cool. We went, we did go to the south of France. Uh, we kind of based ourselves in, in Nice. Um, then we went to Monaco mm -hmm. and kind of back and traveled along the coast a little bit. Um, saw a lot of amazing boats there. Oof. Like, I mean, really big, some of them. Um, we also, we went to Normandy on the northern coast of France. Um, you know, very different feel than the than the Mediterranean. And uh, that was like a seven-hour train trip. I like to take the train, and that was really nice train trip. Like, beautiful views and relaxing. Um, and then we were in Paris, and there's really not a lot of sailing in Paris, but there's a lot of houseboats there. And I think that's a nice lead-in to today's guest. <laughs> Who do we have today? <laughs> Yeah, well done, Mike. Well done. Uh, so today we have a guest uh, is Meryl Charette, uh, and he's uh, interesting from two perspectives. Uh, he co-founded an online marketplace uh, for marine-related marine-related services called ShipShape.pro, and he's also the host of a podcast called ShipShape, uh, 
International Ocean Insights, which is an interesting podcast. But also the thing that intrigued me about him is he lives on his boat. So living on a boat's no big deal, but he lives on his boat full time in Boston. Now, we all know that Boston's quite a nice place to live in July and August and maybe even June and uh, September. But man, in January and February, it's got to be cold. So I said to myself, I got to talk to this uh, Merrill guy. <laughs> I mean, he must have some good stories about, you know, living on a boat in, in a cold climate. And how do you, what do you do to sort of, you know, uh, live like that? How does it work? Because I was really intrigued by it. So, uh, yeah, we had a great conversation. Yeah, I lived in uh, beautiful Norwood, Mass. I'm kind of the southwest of side of Boston, uh, one of the suburbs uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. So I'm well acquainted with winter in the Boston. I actually worked out on a harbor, one of the harbor islands, um, and yeah, really knew how the wind could really blow cold in the winter um, uh, on, on the coast there in Boston. So sounds cool in terms of the business. I'm always interested in online platform businesses, but also really cold in terms of living on a boat during the winter. So I'm totally interested. You got me hooked, Bela. Let's get right to it. Hello, Merrill. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, uh, Bela. I'm excited to uh, get this going. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I think you sent me an email. And one of the things that intrigued me about the email you sent me was you said, you were a liveaboard sailor, so that's no big deal, but you're a liveaboard sailor in Boston 12 months out of the year, which means it gets cold. So that intrigued me because you don't run into many uh, liveaboards who are, you know, spend the winter north of uh, the Mason-Dixon line, so to speak. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, first off, I'll say that Boston has a surprisingly vast uh, community of liveaboards that stay there year-round, and uh, so it's actually quite surprising. And there is a community, and at times it almost seems that the winter strengthens the community bond because everyone has this shared experience of it kind of sucks. And uh, up in New England is also when the nor'easters come, which are the yeah. hurricanes, and so... You know, a lot of the community will join together and have storm parties, and so it's fun. But living on a boat in the winter, you know, it's really not that bad. Honestly, my opinion is that the summer is way harder than the winter. Because uh, you can always put on more layers of clothes, but you can but you can only take so much off. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and. I have a Tashing Toshiba 36, so it's known for its beautiful teak decks. But mm. during the summer, boy, it lights up like the third level of hell. <laughs> yeah, that I, the teak really does absorb heat, doesn't it, from the sun? Yeah, there was uh, one time I was sitting in the boat, and it had to have been like 110 degrees in that thing. And uh, with those teak decks, how they're screwed into the deck, every now and then one of the screws will expand and it'll be almost like the sound of a shotgun right in your, <laughs> in the room. There was one time and it was so hot and I was just laying there. I had a cat on the, on board and the cat's just laying on the, the table. And all of a sudden I started to hear this like creaking sound and I like look over and all of a sudden, boom, this huge explosion. 
it was such an explosion that all the dust had lifted off of everything <laughs> and the whole boat just became dusty. Wow. Wow. So here, I'm curious about what do you do in the winter? So, so I mean, I, I, I've been on my boat when it's been like, I think maybe like 40 degrees has been the coldest. And man, I get condensation on the inside everywhere. How do you, how do you deal with that, that the winter? Honestly, the, the condensation problem, I think, is kind of a boat-by-boat boat problem. Never once have I ever had an issue with condensation, but my boat is kind of unique in its design. It has an extra layer past the fiberglass that's like this foam insulation, so I really think that's kind of what saved me mm. on it. But yeah. uh, there's this material, I don't, I don't remember what it's called, but it's like a, a plasticky weaved thing that you put under all the cushions and it creates like an air gap so air can get in and so you don't have necessarily a mold problem that being said i've certainly run into people that have had this condensation type problem but i've personally never had to deal with it yeah and and what do you what do you do for heat you have a diesel heater or electric heater so in the winter you know, most of the time what people do is they have an electric heater and then they have like a secondary, what's called a Mr. Buddy, which is one of those portable propane heaters. And yes. honestly, those Mr. Buddies are like, you know, a fireplace <laughs> and it, it takes them nothing to really heat up. And even with uh, just an electric heater on low, it'll heat up the boat fairly well. And that's kind of the advice I give every single liveaboard. You know, get yourself a Mr. Buddy. And get yourself one of the the fan electric heaters. You definitely need a yeah. fan electric heater. They have like the oil ones that are just kind of like a radiator. But what you come to find out is because there's no heat being pushed out to fill the boat. It just goes straight up and into the roof. And also yeah. uh, everyone does a shrink wrap too. But it's not the white shrink wrap. It's kind of a see-through shrink wrap. And that ends up creating a greenhouse effect on the boat so that, you know, if it's sunny out, it'll bump up the boat several degrees and it'll create an extra layer that, you know, condensation will go to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I have one of those electric heaters on my boat. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to the boat this weekend to start winterizing it. And, uh, I you know it's time of year I take that electric heater. So you must be at a dock then if you're plugging in. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, everyone I know, even the most hardcore of all liveaboards, they all get onto a dock during the winter. I'm pretty sure like the marinas don't allow anyone to be on a mooring ball in the winter. They just say you got to be on the dock, and the obviously the cost is relatively affordable in the winter time as compared yeah. to the summertime. Right, right. So in the summer, are you on a mooring or are you in a dock all, all year? Oh, I'm on a dock all year. I definitely like uh, the that type of lifestyle. I'm always doing something and always working. So the dock affords me easy on, easy off. Yeah. All the conveniences right there. I certainly know people that go onto a mooring ball and uh, yeah, seeing how they do it, I wouldn't recommend it, especially with Boston, because there's so much traffic that you're in a washing machine. Mm, yeah, that's right, because you have all the ferries and stuff going out to the airport and uh, all sorts of other places. 
for sure. So uh, do you have to worry about any uh, pipes freezing in the winter in the boat? Do you have to winterize anything? So in Boston, the, the water really doesn't freeze. It's still quite salty. And I've been there for I don't know how long. And I've seen it at like negative 20 one time. But never once have I seen it freeze. Most of the problems of a boat sinking or a boat getting in trouble at the dock during the winter is because people will tie the water into the boat and just leave it on. And that water hose is the failure point. And mm. so just how exposed it is connected to the boat, that part will break. And then it'll just dump water into the boat. That's how you sink. So, you know, I don't have a direct hookup to the water. So I've never really had to deal with that. And, and you know, I winterize the engine. And that's really about it. I see. So you don't have to winterize any of your plumbing, your your holding tank or your water tanks or your water lines. None of that freezes because it's warm enough on the boat and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then plus, like most of that stuff is below the water line. And so it's just I'm, I was always under the impression that things don't freeze below the water line. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good to know. I, I it's one thing I've I've always kind of worried about if I kept a boat in the water, you know, do I have to uh, winterize everything? Uh, but anyway, I take it out. It's coming out in another couple of weeks. So, uh, uh, like I said, I'm heading down there this weekend to do the engine and the water system. So, all right. So that's interesting about, so what other, what other sort of tips would you have for someone who's maybe entertaining living aboard in sort of, and not a warm climate? What, what's sort of your top five tips for somebody who's considering that? Well, I feel like they kind of branch into just overall top, top tips, which number one, buy a boat that is functional to begin with, you know, doesn't have any problems. It's not going to be a, a task to get things done. I think that's number one, honestly. That's what kicks most people out. They get a boat and there's a ton of projects to do. Finding service businesses is somewhat impossible slash having the money to afford such service businesses is also a nightmare. And uh, people just get hung up on stuff. Another thing that I've seen from liveaboards is that when you get a boat, almost the first thing that they want to do is waste all of their time and resources on kind of superficial things. Oh, I don't like this carpet. I don't like the, the color of the floor. You know, I'm going to repaint this and repaint this. And so they spend a ton of money and a ton of energy on these superficial things instead of more functional, you know, you know, what do I need to do in order to be able to take this boat out as soon as the season ends? So I've seen that a lot. Um, and, you know, additionally, when you're a live aboard, there is a community and everyone kind of suffers in their own way. And everyone's had their own unique projects. You know, for instance, my teak decks, well, I've managed to buy every single piece of power tool that one could have to work on teak decks. And, but that is the same thing throughout. Like some guy might have all the equipment you need to install a head. Some guy has all the equipment to work on an engine. And yeah. if you go and you meet people and you become friends with them and you, you try to build a community, you have access to all these things. And, you know, being on a boat can be 
pretty isolating at times, but it's the strength in the community that keeps you going. Yeah, you know, that's a great point you make about the community because even in the Marina Amen, which is, uh, there's there's maybe about a half dozen liveaboards there uh, during the summer. I don't think there's any there during the winter. We're, in, we're up near Providence on, on, on uh, Narragansett Bay. And, uh, but even there, like when I'm working on the boat, you know, someone will stop by and say, hey, do you need anything? You know, what are you working on? I got a tool for this. It is amazing how the sailing community comes together and sort of helps each other. And, and it, it's really remarkable because I've, I've, I've often thought that, man, if the rest of the world was that helpful and friendly, it would be a much better world to live in, <laughs> you know? I couldn't agree with you more. What I've yeah. always told um, told people, like people obviously ask me, oh, so what's it like to live on a board a boat and whatnot? And, you know, when you think about it in the modern day, people living in homes, as time's gone on, people have become so separate and distant from each other that not everyone even knows their neighbors, right? right. But in the marine world, it's like, you know, everyone, everyone has this weird shared passion Everyone comes from such unique backgrounds that, you know, one wouldn't expect everything from brilliant scientists to damn near homeless. But everyone like yeah, gets right. together because, hey, we're all voters. Right. Right. You have that one common bond that kind of breaks the ice, so to speak, on sort of opening the door to a conversation and, and uh, you know, building a, a, a relationship. Cool. Hey, so let's talk a little bit about uh, if you've been hanging out in Boston, how long you've been there, what other places have you explored? So the boat's been in Boston. I, you know, I've lost track of time, right? It feels like time goes so slow on a boat. And um, I think it's like six or seven years at this point. And I've always stayed at one marina. I know a few people that jump to marina to marina each year, like a different one. Um, but yeah, you know, I've been there for seven years and I've sailed kind of all of the, you know, up to Portland, pretty much Portland, Maine, and kind of as far as New York. And that's really about it. I just kind of cruise in those areas. For the longest time, I was kind of going from girlfriend to girlfriend, and they weren't always the greatest sailors, meaning they would get seasick like instantly. And so that always lessened the range that I could actually do, but you know, things have changed. I got a girl that's actually a sailor. So, you know, the, the distances that we can cover have certainly expanded. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about, let's say Boston North. Uh, what were some, what's, what's some of your favorite places to go, you know, describe them, et cetera. So Boston actually has 13 harbor islands in it. Most people don't even realize that. Everyone thinks it's just like open ocean or something. Um, but each one of those harbor islands it has a mooring field and you can anchor there. And it's far enough away from the city that you don't even feel like you're in Boston. It's like you escape to this other world for like a day and then you can come back to Boston, big city, do whatever you want. Um, so certainly the harbor islands are awesome. The farther you go up north, kind of the, the next big marine place is Marblehead. And mm. uh, Marblehead is certainly known for its boating history and community. But I haven't much, you know, stayed there. It's pretty jam-packed harbor. I've seen more boats on mooring balls in Marblehead than I've ever seen in one place. 
Um, but there is an island that's off of a little bit farther north off of Manchester by the sea, and it's called Misery Island, and that's one of my favorite spots. Um, this small, small little island with a whole shipwreck history. Um, there's Gloucester, which is a, a big fishing area that's that's quite popular. It's kind of industrial. And then a little bit farther north is uh, Rockport. And Rockport, cute, quaint town. But, you know, as you know, most of the New England towns along the water are quite eclectic and beautiful in their own right. Excellent. Excellent. So do you have any any like tips for people who are sort of thinking about, OK, I'm, I'm going to go from, you know, from Boston north up to, to up to Maine, maybe maybe what what sort of things do they need to think about from a, you know, a sailing and boating perspective? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, so, uh, you know, if I was going north from Boston, what I would do would I would uh, sail to Rockport, spend a night at Rockport. And then there is uh, another island that's a little bit farther on the border of Maine. It's called Isle of Shoals. And uh, I've heard that place is quite fantastic. Um, and then from there, just a jump to Portland, Maine. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what's what's na is are there navigation challenges and issues up that way? Is there a lot of uh, commercial traffic? There's just there's really limited places to kind of anchor as you're going north. So you, you should really kind of have a plan on where you're going beforehand. And obviously, there's certain seasons that you should decide to go up there. Right. Like you shouldn't go up there while it's still winter or as right, it's becoming right. winter, um, you know, but other than that, you know, it's a pretty easy sail. And obviously, once you get into Maine, there's so many inlets and the, and the coast is so like if you factor in all the different zigs and zags that they have up there, right. you could spend your entire life sailing through Maine, never even see the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Excellent. And and what about coming south? Have you did you go through the Cape? You must have gone through the Cape Cod Canal and uh... yeah. So been through the Cape Cod Canal. I'm still kind of confused on how you really gauge it. For some reason, you know, I wish these navigation books had like a better explanation besides ebb and flow and all this other type of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, going. I've gone through that, and um, recently I transported a, a boat from. Martha's Vineyard over to New Bedford, which really wasn't that far. 
but I was able to experience kind of the, the, the how shallow it gets and how the waves can quite pick up in those shallow areas. But yeah, I mean, you know, New England is New England. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to a friend of mine who I saw the other day and uh, he went through the Cape Cod Canal uh, two or three times this past summer. And he said one on one of his trips, he was so proud of himself because he timed the current just right. So he, you know, he had a, he had a following current pushing him through the canal and, and he was so proud of himself because, because he finally figured out the tide charts, you know, and the right time to go through. So he got like an extra knot and a half boost, but he said it was an awful trip because the wind was in the opposite direction. And he said the waves were incredibly tall and steep and it was just awful. And he said, lesson learned, right? You got to think about not just the, the, the direction of the current, but also what's the direction of the wind. Uh, because those two things, as as everyone says, uh, highly interact with each other. Have you uh, have you ever uh, kind of come up through Narragansett Bay up that way? You know, I've I've sailed in those areas, and most of the time, yeah. I've been on other people's boats, right? Um, but I mean, even this this past one when we were going from Martha's Vineyard to New Bedford. This guy calls me up. Oh, I could use your help to transport this boat, you know, to New Bedford. And I was like, you know, I didn't really want to do it. But, you know, the guy's my friend. So I had to sure. do it. And I got out there and, you know, I'm partially expecting, well, it's his boat. He's going to take it off of the dock. Right. And he's <laughs> going to get it going. And yeah, I'll, I'll help him out and assist. And so we get there and it's blowing like 35, 40 knots. And where this boat is docked, it's like sandwiched between all these other mooring balls. I'm sitting there being like, wow, this is going to be a nightmare. Thank God I don't have to take the boat off this dock. I, I wouldn't want to do it. And then the guy who owns the boat, he's like, Beryl, well, you're this big time sailor. So can you take it <laughs> off the dock? And I was like, oh, you know, are you sure you don't want to do it? You know, you know, this boat. He's like, no, 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 you got it. You got it. And then everyone that is like a timeshare on this boat. Like there's multiple owners. They're like, you got this, Meryl. And I'm sitting there like, oh my God, you know. But I managed to get it off, not crash into anything. But it, it was certainly one of those type of things. And the next thing I'm thinking, oh my God, he's going to ask me to dock this thing. I don't even know where the hell we're going. Um, but we managed to make it off the dock and onto the dock without a problem. You know, thank God. Yeah. Boy, I'm I'm not I'm not jealous of you at all because each boat behaves differently, right? right? Cars, for the most part, all sort of go forward and backward about the same, <laughs> but boats are very different. There's some boats that don't back up worth a crap, you know, and others, you know, are just the wind blows them. Other boats, the wind doesn't blow around very much, so each boat is really different. I know it's taken me you know, like a good year, year and a half to sort of feel comfortable maneuvering my boat around in the marina uh, in sort of all sorts of wind conditions. Uh, it takes a while for that. So when you're going in cold, man, that's that's a lot of pressure. Well, you know, that certainly brings up one of the biggest issues within boating is the fear of docking. Yes. And uh, that really is, I think, the, the thing that locks people onto the dock. Right. It stops them from going out this anxiety right. of taking the boat out. Right. Yeah. 
particularly coming back, <laughs> you know, leaving the dock most of the times, you know, you can just kind of put it in gear and go, <laughs> but it's getting, getting back is the challenge. Yeah. I, I think you're right. A lot of people say, eh, it's too windy. I'm not going anyplace. Not because it's too windy to go boating, but it's too windy to come back into the dock where they feel fear it. Yeah. Cool. Hey, so one of the other things that intrigued me about the email you sent me is that you have this entrepreneurial sort of uh, streak in you and you started a business uh, and that uh, uh, business uh, is is called uh, Shipshape. And and when I sort of looked it up a little bit, it sort of reminded me of the the boaters version of Angie's list. <laughs> so why don't you tell us about that uh, and uh, what what the business is and what it does and the benefit to mariners and stuff? Yeah, so at the core of it, ship shape is very much an Angie's list, but for boats. And it's a very simple search tool where any boat or yacht owner can come in, do a search for a specific brand or service and find a list of service businesses. You know, I can't emphasize enough how much of a pain in the ass it is to find service businesses to begin with. But to bring it back, how I even got to the idea of building this in the first place was while I was at law school in Boston, I had run into this guy on the dock through the community that was there and he was a live aboard and he was building out this uh, multi-tool for dinghies, right? Essentially it being that if you had a big enough dinghy, well, you're going to have a battery box to start the outboard. But those battery boxes were such pieces of junk, right? They're just like flimsy plastic. And at the core of it, it, it had a built-in bilge pump, right? Because one thing that happens with the dinghies is it fills up with water and then it yep. just is a nightmare to take out. So it was a built-in bilge pump. It had a big enough battery to start 150 horse. Bluetooth speakers, running light, fish finder, USB charging, all of these different things. And, uh, you know, it was a progression. We're like, well, what else can we put on this thing? And yeah. uh, so we, we did that. We started to go through the whole trademark process. But I got to a point in which I realized that, wait a minute, like, how do you mass produce anything, right? And, uh, you know, obviously, there's no clear path. There's no 1-800-CHINA or what have you. And um, so while I was sitting there trying to really understand how to even do such a thing, I just had a community of boat owners, right? And I knew a ton of service businesses and people would come up to me, oh, well, do you know a diver, a welder, engine mechanic, electrician, plumber? And I go to my list of people and then I'd call them up and then connect the dots for people and people would get the work done. And after I did that for a while, I was like, wait a minute, I should probably charge for this. And so then I started kind of doing general contracting where I had, you know, all of these, this network of service businesses. And I had a ton of boats because the marine industry is very much word of mouth. And yeah. um, so, you know, I was very fortunate. The stars aligned and I was able to build kind of this general contracting company. But from there, you know, I went and decided to through hike another trail. So in 2018, I threw hike the Appalachian Trail. In 2020, I decided to through hike another trail called the New England Trail. It's from the coast of Connecticut to the Massachusetts, New Hampshire border. And, you know, I was out there in the woods for 22 days and I was really thinking about how fortunate I was and all of this other type of stuff. And I said, wait a minute, you know, why am I the youngest guy kind of doing <coughs> this? 
and having success, then you realize that, well, you know, everything is word of mouth. And because it's word of mouth, it stops people from actually getting into the industry. There's an unbelievable amount of people that actually want to work in the industry that have all these talents. But if you're not found, you're done for. And so it only made sense in kind of the, the, how to uplift and bring a younger generation in, there would have to be such a connecting tool that connects people together. Obviously, as time went on, you know, started to realize that the issues were kind of throughout Moraine. It didn't matter if it was a new business trying to break in or an old business. You know, there was just a, a myriad of problems throughout the whole how to build a business in service. And frankly, there's not a lot of people that represent the service industry. You know, the trade associations don't really deal with them. Like, you know, most of these guys don't even have websites. And then the ones right. that do, you know, the ones that do, it's like, well, you know, all the keywords that define, you know, marine repair are very much to the home and auto industry that Google doesn't even know what the hell the difference is. Right. And right. Um, so so at the core of it, it's like connect the dots for people. You know, it, it just, I, I believe that just the connectivity and the collaboration aspect of it revolutionizes how Marine does. It gives opportunities for people to break in. You know, it helps to create role models, which the service side of the industry is really lacking. Everyone's like, oh, well, we need to bring youth into the industry. But it's like you look around, you're like, well, you know, what opportunity really is there? Like, who's really doing exceptional to be like a role model for this next generation? Right. Right. Yeah, you know, as you were saying that, it just got me to thinking, like, if if I wanted to start a business, you know, let's say, uh, you know, marine uh, plumbing systems, uh, 30 years ago, basically what I did was I took an ad out in the yellow pages. That was it. And now, unfortunately, the yellow pages only came out once a year. So if you missed the window, you missed the window. Uh, but that's where people found services was in what was called the yellow pages. But now it's much more complex than that. I mean, you have to have a website. You, you, you have to, you know, show up in search engines. So there's all these other things that have, in many ways, increased the barriers to having enabling someone to get in. So I think this whole notion of, of what you've done with ShipShape removes some of those barriers, right? It's a way for, for people to get, to get on a list uh, that that people who are looking for those types of services know about and and uh, can can utilize, which I think is great. Yeah, and certainly one of the the funny factors is, and I heard it from one of your previous podcasts. It was like, well, you know, trying to find people in the first place. Well, the people that can be found are so booked up that they can never right. even come and work on your boat. And right. a lot of people I've heard stories would be like, oh, there's just no service businesses and. The people that are there are just so booked up and it's going to take months. But I'd argue to say that there are a ton of businesses out there. You just can't find them. And everyone seemingly has their own like marina where they work at. And then, you know, every marina has their own network of service businesses that essentially yep. their business model is that boat owner has to go talk to boat owner at other marina before them even knowing about each other. Which, That's right. You know, doesn't really happen. Yep. Yep. This is great. So, uh, how does someone, let's say I'm, I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a boater. I want to use this service. How do I, how do I do that? What do I need to do? 
Well, you just go to www.shipshape.pro and you, you know, do a search. It's a free to use tool at the present, you know, as time moves on, because frankly, at this point, it's like, we're trying to build the network and we're trying to build the marketplace. And, you know, we've had some decent success. We're working with two to 3000 boats each month, but you know, that's on a national scale. And, you know, there's like 17 million boats out there. So, you know, it, it's tiny. Um, but we also have 2,200 service businesses across the U.S. And, you know, there's no bigger directory of that. And I, I tell you, it was quite a monumental task to build out such a directory in the first place. It took me a, a solid year of research and, and trying to figure out who existed. And frankly, it, it was almost like running into a ton of tombstones. Here lies Bob's mobile marine, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and so let's say I'm on the other side. Let's say I am on a a service provider. I I do marine air conditioning or or whatever. How do, how do I get connected from that perspective? Yeah. You just go in, there's a a sign up feature. You click it, you put in your business details, and then there's kind of like a clickable, what services you actually do defined by main category, subcategory and brand. I guess the easiest way to think about it is engine is main category, inboard, outboard, stern drive or subcategory. And then you have like Yanmar and Yamaha and Suzuki and all of those. But, you know, to tell you kind of some stories on building that, no one prior to us had actually made like a keyword tree for marine repair, Mm. right? And so it's just like, now we're having to build a search engine for it in which (laughs) <laughs> this tool needs to understand the difference between, you know, if someone's searching for engine repair, that's kind of a very soft search, you know, what type of engine and, you know, you get to inboard and out, yeah, it's still a better search, but it's like, how do you have the system parse through what someone could say where it's like, Yanmar, you know, inboard repair. Well, the thing had to be able to, parse through the words and then find which word was the strongest for right. the search. Right. But yeah, that was quite something. And I tried to go to like companies like West Marine and look at how they structured things. And I was just like, oh, there is no commonality. Like no one really thought of this. So that, that was certainly a, a struggle. And it went through so many iterations too. You know, it's like, I'd go through 200 business websites and try to figure out what they did. And I'll tell you that no one really tells you what they do, right? They say, oh, we, we do everything related to repair. And we right. onboard some service businesses and we'd be like, okay, so what type of engines you work on? They're like, oh, uh, work on all engines. And I'm like, come on, you don't work on all engines. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, we do. And then they look at the list and there's so many different engine brands. They're like, well, I guess I do that one and I, uh, I could do that one, but I wouldn't want to do that. And then they just like click it. They only got three of the 30 that right. are there. Right. Well, you know, what, what you're talking about is so important because uh, as a user of those types of services uh, and, and my, maybe it's my ADD kicks in, but I, I don't have a lot of patience for sort of going someplace and I'm searching for something and I you know, after two or three searches, if I can't find it, that's it. I'm gone. I'm I'm not going back to that place anymore. 
you know, so so doing that in a way that works and is very effective and productive is, is really key, I think, to a lot of these types of uh, uh, search endeavors, not only for the customer like me, if I'm looking for that service, but the person on the other side to make sure that they narrow their list of skills down enough so that they do pop up in the appropriate search and not it not like, wait, wait I'm not looking for that. How did that company end up here? So that's great. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the problem with finding people in the first place, as every person that, if they're listening to this podcast, owns a boat, it's like, oh, you know, you, you try to do searches, and then all of a sudden you're stuck on forums that were made in 2003, and you're trying to read through it, you're like, oh, well, this person in 2003 was alive, you know, maybe right. he can do this, and then you try to do some searches, and you can't find anything. But I'll tell you one success story, which was also myself too, right? So we talk about the issues of docking. Well, my Tosh yes. Toshiba 36, it had 4,500 hours on it, right? She's been worked hard, right? And it, it was a progression of issues. Basically, when you'd go to put her in gear, the the gear shifter felt like it was nothing, right? Like it would just slide and nothing would happen. The boat wouldn't go into gear. And it, as it got worse and worse and worse, the last time I come in, I go to dock and I'm just like, I'm trying it out before I'm even at the marina. I put it in gear, it works, put it in reverse, it works. I'm like, okay, you know, I got this. I come in, I go to put it in reverse to back up. It's, nothing happens. I just start floating down the marina next to all these boats. I'm like, oh my God. And then of course, you know, some dinghies saved me. Three dinghies come out of the dock and tow me back to my slip. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, oh, my world is over, right? Like every major project I've ever had, I'm like, oh my God, this is what kills me. And um, so I'm like, oh, you know, what the hell am I going to do? How am I going to find anyone? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Wayne, I just built this whole platform. You know, right. I totally have the answers right here. So I went and I did a search and I was able to schedule a haul out, bottom paint, new transmission, new prop shaft, new cutlass bearing, new prop, new heat exchanger, new hoses from three separate companies. And I got it all done in three days. Everything was done in three days, which is like unheard of, right? You know, because yeah. that's, you know, that's, that'll kill your entire season. You get any one of those problems, but just finding the right people that wanted to work and it all panned out quite well. Yeah. So it was it was shipshape.pro, correct? Yeah. P-R-O. P-R-O dot pro. Yeah. Is that an app or is it a website or both? It's a website. You know, we're okay. uh, we're still a startup and we have a solid team and we have a little bit of investment and we have um, some good board people. Right. We have the founder of Dakwa, he's on our team. We have the senior vice president of One Water, he's on our team. Uh, um, you know, so it's one of those gradual type things. And Super. certainly as time time goes on and it evolves, it'll become, you know, something else. But at the present, it's just a very kind of basic search, right? You come in, you search for what you're looking for, and you get results, and then you can call them and figure out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That sounds wonderful. Sounds like a great asset for for Mariners. So, uh, Merrill, uh, you've been a great guest. I've really enjoyed uh, our conversation. Uh, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have? 
Hmm. Well, I certainly have a podcast. Oh, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So uh, our podcast is called Ship Shape International Ocean Insights. And when we first started the podcast, it was very much in the mentality of, oh, well, if we do this, this will help drive traffic to the platform. And as we started to do these interviews, we kind of realized that we had a completely different demographic than the people that use the platform and that the people that were listening to it were CEOs and founders and owners of marine companies. And as you probably already know this, you know, there was like a fear of, oh, well, who would talk to me on this podcast, right? Like, oh, I'm just a nobody, right? You know, reach out to some big names. Right. And uh, one of the first big names that we had was Robert Perry, right? I just, you know, made a post and Robert on Robert Perry's fan page. And he was like, this is not allowed, right? You know, this is some advertisement. It's not related to me. And I said, well, Bob, you're the guy who was, because of you and inventing all these boats, she was able to do this. And he's like, you know what? You got a point. I was like, you should come on to our <laughs> podcast. And then after that, he was like, sure. And so that was our first heavy hitter. But what makes us kind of unique, and um, I heard this on another one of your podcasts, but um, we cover main topic marine. So everything from super yachts to aquaculture, from NOAA to MIT. So we cover all sorts of different things. We're not really focused on one particular subject, yeah. like, you know, sailing or anything like that. And it's been, you know, unique in the sense that when you talk to so many different sectors of marine, you come to find out that everyone's got the same problems, but no one wants to communicate. It's, it's like a color wheel where each color is its own sector, whether it be shipping or aquaculture or recreational boating or, you know, what have you. And everyone's trying to solve the same problems. Like for instance, workforce development, everyone is trying to solve that. And then you talk with MIT, they're like, oh, we came up with a solution for that. And all these people are so siloed. And it's like, what? you're siloed, right? It's like you haven't given this to anyone else, right? right. Like about how to right. figure out this whole workforce thing. And so that's been uh, unique and it's put me into so many different positions, you know, as to be on boards for super yacht companies and stuff like that. I mean, the extent of my super yacht knowledge is just through the guests I interview, but it's been certainly a journey on that front. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, so that was Ship Shape International Insights. Yeah, International Ocean Insights. We were really trying to uh, pad the books on the keywords. <laughs> yes, well, that's important. <laughs> very good. So, Merrill, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation, and uh, maybe I'll see you out there sometime. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, Bela, another interesting interview. So, what struck you most about your conversation with Merrill? Oh, gosh, there was a lot of things there. Uh, I, I think this notion of living in a marina full time is 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 interesting right i mean i've spent a fair amount of time at the marina where we have our boat and uh there's probably during the summertime there's probably about a half a dozen folks who live on their boats there full time uh, i will say that all of them head south for the winter so i don't believe there's anyone living there full time uh during the winter months uh, and there is this little community that sort of builds up 
uh, and supports each other. So I thought that was an interesting thing that Merrill talked about, right? This notion of living in Marina and then sort of liverboards, particularly the ones that are there in the winter, all sort of band together and 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 they sort of help each other because they, they know they 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 build that community. And you and I have talked about this in the past, that the sailing community and the boating community in general is just really great. Uh, and they help each other. And, you know, I, there's many instances where someone seen me working on my boat and they asked me if I need a hand or if I need any tools or anything like that. And, and in, in normal life, that doesn't happen very often. The other thing I thought that was interesting. And this is a subset, was, right? It's a subset of these that's boaters right. that, right? That's right. It's this, it's this neat subcommunity or subculture, which is even more tight probably. Oh yeah, I think I think it's extremely much tighter because th they all have this really common bond of we're all a little crazy because we're living on our boats in the winter time. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing I thought was interesting was he was saying it's probably a low cost way of living downtown in a big city because apart we all know how much apartments are and you know in 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 new york and i'm sure in boston they're the same there's several thousand dollars for an apartment that's probably smaller than your boat <laughs> mm -hmm. and so now you have a boat and you know you can live on it for probably cheaper than in an apartment uh so i thought that was that was sort of an interesting thing uh and you and know you boston and all them, too which is kind of cool right right you can right. take it out That's, and you can go explore the Harbor Islands or you can go up to the coast of Maine or you can go down to the That's Cape, right. Right. That's right. That's one of the nice things about Boston is, you know, from a from a sailing New England perspective, it, it really is sort of centrally located. Right? You can get up to Maine pretty easy. You can come south down into Long Island Sound or Narragansett pretty easily. Uh, and that's one of the wonderful things about sailing in, in the Northeast. Um, so that that's sort of the things that struck me. What what struck you from our conversation? Well, maybe looking at it from the business standpoint, right, is I'm yeah. always interested in platform businesses, right? And we all know from eBay and, um, you know, um, um, what am I thinking of? Um, I don't know why. My Angie's List? Been were, you thinking of An An were you thinking of Angie's sure, List? Sure, Angie's List and, right, that you talked about. And, you know, there's a lots of different platforms first bringing people together uh, in an online uh, online way. These are multi-sided business models, we call them, right? So um, you've got a couple of things going on. You're trying to match up. You want to have the right sellers and the right number of buyers. Because if you have too many sellers and no buyers, they're not going to stick around. And if you've got too many buyers and no sellers, they're not going to stick around. So in this case, you've got to have the service providers who are providing the marine services. And you have to have the boat owners or the ship owners who want to buy this. And big getting that mix just right is really tricky thing. Um, and so, you know, this looks to me like it's got a really pretty good user base. It's still in the startup phases, but they've got both people on their platform, um, the buyers and the sellers. So they've really accomplished that kind of that first kind of key step. And the other thing that's cool is these marketplaces um, allow you to take what's called the long tail. Okay. So if you're a marina, you can only have a certain, you only have a certain amount of space and you only have a certain number of employees. So, so to do certain services, you're limited, right? Like I think you talked about once, like the person that does the upholstery, right? In your, and, and you're in your cabin, right? On right? your boat. And, you know, this gives 
all these specialty providers, right? That maybe you only need once every five years or something like this, right? Into one place where you can always know you can find these little specialty providers. So we call this kind of the long tail. You know, you can find somebody at the every marina to do engine work or to do a hull work or painting or whatever. But some of these little specialties, it's really nice to have a place that you can one one location for all this stuff. So I think he's got a pretty good chance of making this work, right? It's a pretty cool idea. And it seems like there's buyers and sellers and there's a need because there's lots of these little niche um, work that needs to get done and um, and that there's a market need for it. So I don't know. So I was really impressed with the concept. And I always like to see small business people taking something they're passionate about, in this case, you know, the marine world um, for Merrill and turning it into a cool business that helps both buyers and sellers. And he makes a little money on, on the whole thing for the idea and making it happen. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree, Mike. I, I think it's a I think it's a great idea uh, because I think finding service providers in sort of the marine industry is not an easy thing. It, it's still sort of done the old fashioned way. You go into Google and, you know, you put in marine marine toilet systems <laughs> or marine plumbing and you see what pops up. And, you know, one of the great things of, of, of a service like Angie's List is is that it brings focus to that and it brings a, an ability for you to zoom in quickly and find specialties and subspecialties which i think uh, typically works much better than google at least for me i have found those services to be very helpful and and i think what merrill's put together here with shipshape.pro uh, is a great example of that it's focused on the marine industry and it's a great way to match up buyers and sellers uh, there are people who want service and people who are selling services. Uh, and, you know, a, a boat, once you start getting larger boats, it's as complex as a house. You know, my, my boat has, you know, actually has two electrical systems. It has a 12-volt electrical system and a 115-volt electrical system. It's got two engines. It's got two bathrooms. It's got plumbing. It's got water. It's got a water heater. It's got air conditioning. It's got heat. It's got lights. So there's a, it's just as complicated as a house. And, and, and in many ways, it's much more difficult to work on than a house because stuff is buried. It's much more specialized. I can't go to Home Depot. I can't go to Lowe's to kind of buy the parts for this. Uh, and I can't just call up my local plumber uh, or my local electrician uh, to do these types of things. There's very, the codes are different uh, for marine uh, uh, plumbing and marine electrical work. So I, I think it's just a, it's a great way of doing it. And the marina I'm at, you know, sort of provides some level of service, but think about it this way. Think about it. I'm a cruiser. I don't live in a marina. I, I, I travel from area to area or I'm living on the anchor. Uh, so, and I need something goes wrong and I need some, I need some help. This is a great thing for that because, you know, yeah, I can, I can talk to the people who are anchored around me and say, Hey, do you know of anybody who does this? But that, that exchange is solely based on their experience, which may be great, or it may be even more limited than mine uh, with, with using those services. So I think this is really great for, for all sorts of boaters, um, ones living in a marina, or ones like myself who you know, live in a house but go, go to the marina, and, but still have a boat that has, has, has things that need to get fixed on it. And I think it particularly useful for people who are, are more mobile, and not living in one place and, and don't build up that network of people to, 
like you do with a house. Once you once you've lived in your house for a number of years, you know you sort of know who the local good plumber is because you talk to your neighbors and who the good electrician is. But in a boat, it's much harder. So I think it's really great. Yeah, and it's a pretty slick interface, and uh, looks like it's pretty easy to use. So um, yeah, yeah, really kind of a cool thing. So I would say, listeners, check it out. You know, um, interesting guy, interesting conversation. Thanks for doing it. What do you think? Wrap this one up. Yep. Sounds good, Mike. Let's wrap her up. All right. Listeners, once again, thanks for joining us for yet another episode. We hope you found this conversation interesting and thought-provoking. And as always, if you have questions about what we've discussed or have some ideas um, on what we should be talking about, let us know. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Yeah, you know, we're recording this at the end of October, Mike, and uh, it's getting colder. The Almost all the leaves are gone. I was out at the boat and got it winterized and ready to get hauled out, hauled out this past weekend. So the sailing season is over, over. And pretty soon I'll be dusting off the skis and getting ready to ski. So, but I still have some good uh, episodes coming up here in the future. Got a couple of good, interesting people lined up to talk to. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you all soon. Thanks, Bela. It's always a pleasure. And from over here in Münster, Germany, I'll see you next time. Okay. Okay. Stop recording. Stop. <laughs>